Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good morning. Together, we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. So today we're going to be talking about common kitchen mistakes. This is something that I get asked a lot about all the time, whether it's specific, you know, questions about stock making or seasoning the food or, or whatever. And I've just observed a lot of people in their own kitchens and things that I have done in my own kitchen. I've made a lot of mistakes and I think that that's how we learn and improve. Um, but to be honest, I have zero credentials. <laughs> Joey is the one who has a little bit of the formal training. So Joey went to culinary school and also, you know, runs a successful catering arm of his business right now. And so he is in the kitchen often, both at home and at work. And he's a much better cook than I am, to be honest. So we're going to be talking about things that we observe, um, you know, based on the conversations we've had with other people and yeah, I hope this conversation is helpful. I hope that um, people can become better home cooks after they listen to this because a lot of these things are just classic home cook um, pitfalls. So we didn't really discuss like who was going to go first here. I think uh, I actually want to ask you starting out because I feel like you're sort of the expert in this topic. I'll take it. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. So when, when you're thinking of common mistakes in the kitchen and you're observing me and thinking like, wow, she's doing that way wrong. <laughs> she doesn't know how to chop an onion. Um, let's hear it. Let's hear your number one. Let's just get right in there. You know, I, th- I think that I'm not going to identify these as everyone in the world has is doing this, but there's a certain level of cook or capability that's that once you reach that level of capability, you tend to, I've, I feel like, re- fall into this, some of these traps. And that level of capability is, is, I feel like, one of the most common levels of capability where you're cooking dinner on a regular basis. Um, this is not the, this is not the uh, single guy um, living alone using an air fryer. <laughs> common do single guys use use air fryers i know that some of them do so the 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 pitfalls that i'm going to be referencing i believe are more commonly seen with the people that are you know they can cook they can do it They, they they're making meals they have some um scratch dinners you know going on so I just wanted to preface it that way because if you're in if you're in a situation where you know you're you're buying taquitos and putting them in an air fryer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, this and, does not apply. And to these you. don't resonate with you. Well, then you know why. So you know who you are. Yeah. So um, yeah, let's let's get right into it. I think I think one major. Easily fixed mistake. I didn't want to say major mistake, even though it could be major. Uh, that's I think very common is that there's this this the concept of tasting your food as you go and before you serve it. Mm. Why would you do that? Why would you taste your food? I mean, like people, you know, if you so that it tastes good, right? Yeah. And you're using 
a God-given tool, which is your palate, to articulate the food that you're preparing and make sure that it's you know properly seasoned. And more often than not, and the reason that I bring this this one up first, I feel like most food that I eat that is not, you know, that, that could be better is just plain and simple under seasoned. And and when I say under seasoned, this is another thing where I'm you know, kind of this, this, this one continues to unravel, really. This, this idea, this, this pitfall, is, it just keeps unraveling. I don't mean like, hey, go get, go raid the spice cabinet. You know, mm-hmm. it needs more cumin or it needs more uh, coriander seed or, you know, paprika or it, it doesn't need that stuff, potentially. Um, if, you're, if you're cooking whole ingredients and it tastes bland, it's not necessarily the food's fault. It's your fault for not activ- activating your your palate with salt. Mm-hmm. Salt does that. And salt is not just an additive that makes the food taste different. Where adding in, you know, cumin is an additive. The, f- the food, the meal will taste different. And then the way that you express it and really, you know, bring those flavors to life so that you can taste them is through is through salt. And so, yeah, salt's a flavor enhancer. <clears throat> I don't even know if 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 everyone has that basic understanding of like salt just makes food taste more like itself, and pepper, like cracked pepper and spices, obviously add in a different thing. Like if you have if you've tasted really fresh cracked black pepper it is completely different than like the pre-ground gray sand that falls out of a shaker you know what I mean Mm. same thing with salt if you have really high quality salt unrefined salt is what I prefer um and you're sprinkling that on generously it just makes the food taste more like itself it's not necessarily like if you can taste the saltiness you've probably gone a little bit too far Mm -hmm. would you agree oh yeah Guacamole, number one offender. Yeah. People make me their guacamole all the time. Dude, you got to try this. It's so good. You know, I put 10,000 ingredients in it. When in reality, guacamole can taste spectacular with, you know, avocado, one to two added ingredients. Could be more, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be properly seasoned. Yeah. And when I say properly seasoned, I mean it needs to be properly salted to 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 really bring out all those fats. I mean, avocado is so fatty and, and to bring out the flavor of of that of, of the fruit and just the natural flavors that are within that salt is 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 necessary. So mm-hmm. now there's there's if we if we got really deep into this, you know, using your palate to taste foods and different ingredients to ensure that they are desirable or at a quality that um you're happy with is more than just salt, right? 
you, know, you, you may be tasting for acid, or you may be tasting for sweetness, you may be tasting for savoriness. Hey, this, this needs more, you know, depth. Now, those, those um, intuitions or those understandings come with practice, right? And one of the best ways to practice that form of tasting, if you will, is by making your own salad dressing. Do you buy salad dressing? You shouldn't. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. I mean, it's you need an emulsifier, aka buy a jug of Dijon mustard, mm-hmm. um, fresh ginger. Um, I mean, geez, it could be mayonnaise. Making some mayonnaise at home, putting it in the fridge, mm-hmm. could be anything. That's that's kind of the foundation of your of your salad dressing, right? Then you need acid, and you need fat. And the acid and the fat don't blend together without the emulsifier. Hence the reason the name of it. And put them all together in a bowl and you whisk it together. And then it's now you've got a dressing that you can flavor and season. And so you may identify that, wow, this is just really tart, really acidic. Well, how do I balance out this, 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 um, this dressing? Well, it needs a little bit of sweetness. If I want to round it out, boom, hit it with a little bit of honey, a little bit of maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? It's just, it just doesn't, it's just not as flavorful as I want it to be. Well, have you thrown some salt in it yet? Hit it with a little bit of salt. Hit it with some, you know, I don't know. Am I allowed to say soy sauce? Yeah, you can, you can have soy. I like it. And throw some soy <clears throat> sauce in this salad dressing. Make sure it's organic. Make sure it's organic. I wouldn't make that your prime consumption. <laughs> um, a little diced shallot even. Mm. Like I think oh, people yeah. are sometimes scared to put whole food in a dressing. Mm. But I love a good like finely diced shallot or fresh garlic or something like that. And and yeah, some of that soy, it has that umami flavor. So other things you can replicate that with coconut aminos, um, a high quality like Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. I can't believe I just said Worcestershire on the podcast. I mean, you went for it. It's, it's the funny. hardest word to say. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think that those are all really great. And yeah, I think... Starting with salad dressing, which is very course correctable because you just, you're tasting as you go and you're, and I would even tell people like taste it every step, even when you know it's not done yet, because you're going to learn what each component tastes like on its own. And then you're going to learn how that flavor changes when it's paired with other flavors, because it's the classic, you know, the sum is greater than the parts. What's that quote? I don't, I don't even know. (laughs) Our audience will know. Um, yeah, I think that's awesome. I love Season. that. Salad dressing's huge. Great, great way to kind of get in the game with tasting and refining and tasting again. Because there's definitely some food, right? Baking. I mean, baking is precise. Yeah. You can't like taste the batter and say, hey, this needs a little bit more, you know, sugar or a little more pepper or a little more salt or whatever. It's harder to do that to do that with baking, almost impossible. Now with cooking, most stuff, you know, unless you're cooking a steak, right, and you're grilling it, it's not like you're tasting the steak as it's grilling to see if it needs more salt. Now the beautiful thing is when you pull that steak off and you cut into it and you take a bite and you're like, hmm, this could be a little bit better. Hit a little bit of salt. There's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. No, no shame in that. Yeah, you're the one that taught me anytime you slice steak and you're exposing that new flesh for lack of a better word uh salt that because you're only especially if you're grilling thick steaks you're only hitting the outside surface area with salt and pepper and 
you've got all that juicy inside that mm. needs to be properly salted too. So I, I always crust my front and back with salt and pepper. A lot of that gets lost in the pan. Yeah. Um, which is great if you're making a pan sauce, whatever. But then once you take that steak off, let it rest properly and slice it, you have to hit it with salt again. Otherwise, it's just, it's hard to taste, honestly. Absolutely. And the, the rule of thumb that we were given in school was if, you, if you're if you serving steak sliced, like open, like... On the plate. We are the ones that are going to season it prior to serving it. Mm, at a restaurant. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so that, and the reasoning is exactly for what you just said, right? And so when you cut into it um, and you take a bite, you're, you're getting the full flavor of the steak in every single bite. And so now one of the reasons we don't do that is because... Then it, you know the, the juice of the steak is, is lost. It dries out a little bit faster. Um, if you slice it, it on can, the plate. And it can cool off. I gotcha. Yeah. Did you guys go over dressing making in culinary school? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What what, what, what were some of the comments? Like, were you just making the classics ranch, Caesar, Italian? We made, you know, we made, um, oh, I mean, I found out that there's typically sardines, right? In, in Caesar dressing? I, yeah, that, that was a huge <laughs> blow my mind moment, right, in school. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we did. We made some of the classic dressings for sure. Like we didn't make French or or um, like Thousand Islands. Like we didn't make any of those kinds of dressings. From what I remember, at least we didn't. But for the most part, we just learned the principle of what makes a dressing, mm-hmm. and then we were just left to being creative and using our palate to make a good one. One of my favorite ones you make, and you made it for me. Like I think right after we had Ray, <clears throat> was that really gingery fresh dressing do you remember what you put in that yeah i I was just talking about this it's so funny you said that yeah i think i used um i think i used fresh ginger that i would hit with i would hit it run it on a microplane or like a like a grater get it into a you know almost like a fine almost like a almost like a paste and that would be what i would use you know as the emulsifier to an extent Hmm. and it does a pretty good job and so I'd use fresh ginger, fresh grated ginger, and then I believe it was olive oil, soy sauce, a little bit of apple cider vinegar, and a little bit of maple syrup. Mm-hmm. I think that was the dressing. That was so good. Maybe some green onions too, uh, sliced green onions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the that was that was that was the dressing and. Um, yeah, I love, I actually, I love that too. Now, now I want that. That was, mm-hmm. that was good stuff. All right. So moving on from under seasoning, which is uh, what that was also going to be one of mine. So I'll add to that. I think, um, a big thing I'm always saying is season at every step, which mm. goes with tasting at every step. Um, <laughs> obviously you, you don't want to over season at every step, but a little bit of salt in the pan <clears throat> the moment you put those onions in or your mirepoix or, or your whatever, you know, soup base you're starting with, you got to hit it with salt and pepper. Mm. And then after that, as you continue to cook and you add another ingredient, say you're now browning meat, salt and pepper, right? You need layers of that. And honestly, I, I picked that up from the cooking shows that we watched. I've picked that up from just like listening to other chefs talk about how in restaurants they are seasoning mm-hmm. all the time. And home cooks classically under season because we're scared of our food being too salty mm-hmm. or too spicy or too whatever. So 
a little bit of under, a little bit of seasoning at every step. And I do want to add, we use an unrefined salt. And so the volume of salt that we're using looks like a lot, but the saltiness is not quite as concentrated as a traditional table salt. So when people see me pouring on some salt and they're using table salt, um, it's going to taste way different. So it, it totally depends on what your salt tastes like, mm-hmm. how salty it truly mm-hmm. is um, uh, for the volume that you're going to use. But another thing I, I uh, stole from you is your high and wide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever we're salting anything, keeping my hands, you know, high and salting a wide area so that I'm not, you know, right in there on the steak, getting tiny little sections of the meat. And uh, and that's it. And those two things make me feel a little bit more chefy in the kitchen. Mm. They help me make better food. I will say I'm a classic under taster. Mm. I think every single time I make chili and you're like, oh, is this ready? I'm like, yeah, but I haven't tasted it. That's something I could get better at mm. for sure. And, and to, for, for those that, that aren't understanding <laughs> high and wide... We season our foods by hand, so we don't have a shaker. Ah, yeah, that's true. And so we have our salt in a dish, um, a covered dish on our counter, and we pick the salt up with our fingers, and we hold it. She's talking about salting, and this is something we learned in school, right? High and wide, where you're up high above the dish so that when you drop the salt, it tends to scatter in a more even across-the-dish pattern. What, if what is that? If you're really close, it's... It's not, it's not the same. So what was that? Was it a YouTube clip that got really, that went really viral? Of the guy with the, the, guy salt, with the salt. salt bay, whatever right. his name So is, you're yeah. thinking high and wide. We're not, we don't look like that. We, same principle. <laughs> same principle. Same principle. You can glean wisdom from him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was going to say under seasoning as well. But my other thing, my other, I guess my first original common kitchen mistake is actually starts when you are buying. I think so often people are following recipes that call for ground meat or skinless boneless chicken breast or um, some sort of you know animal protein that has already been broken down quite a quite a ways that's lacking the skin and the bone. So they're not buying whole animal pieces, whether that's a whole chicken or um, a bone-in steak or a bone-in roast. I even think those things people are intimidated to work with because adding bone into flesh and trying to cook that is different, different ball game. But what you're missing when you are not buying those whole animal parts is the ability to, <clears throat> A, use every little bit of that animal and B, turn that into a stock at the end of your meal. So... Around here, we cook a whole chicken about once a week or every 10 days, and then we regularly make chicken stock with that, something I talk about all the time. Um, And that is a free byproduct of the animal that we're already eating. You know, I could spend similar amounts of money buying pre-butchered, boneless, skinless chicken breasts, but then I'm not getting any of the delicious chicken skin that I can fry up and get crispy. I'm not getting any of the bones or connective tissue or extra fat there that would make the stock. And then I have to go then buy a separate carton of stock Mm. to make my soup base or my rice or to help flavor a sauce. And so it's it's actually more expensive, but you're buying that convenience. And I think the thing I always want to encourage people to do is just 
add a little like 10% more effort on our part can not only save us a tremendous amount of money, but also um, it creates such a depth of nourishment that we're missing out on otherwise. Mm. So I think my my main kitchen mistake I see people using is not buying whole animal parts. I mean, it's it really comes down to sourcing. And then discarding the parts that they could use. I, I can't tell you how many times I've cooked up chicken wings for our family, just like braised in the oven. And then I save those bones and I make a little amount of stock. Mm-hmm. Every little bit you can use. Mm. Um, and you you don't have to use it right away, right? You can freeze those bones. You can store them in the fridge for a day and make stock tomorrow. You can, um, same with your vegetable scraps. I mean, I could really apply the same thing to vegetables. Not buying the whole thing and instead opting to get the pre-sliced broccoli mm-hmm. or the, or not broccoli. Well, yeah, you could get broccoli florets. Get the pre-sliced celery, right? And without any of the leaves. Why don't we eat the leaves? Everyone else eats the leaves all over the world. We don't eat the leaves. Um, there are bits and parts of both animal and plant foods that we can turn into other foods. So that's something I would encourage people to do. And I think it's a um, really common mistake. And it's it comes from not fully having confidence in how to either break something down or how to use it after you've already made dinner. It's like this this idea of transitioning leftovers into other food or other meals is a skill that I think a lot of people are still trying to cultivate. And it it also has a lot to do with you know getting into common rhythms of how you cook food. Because if you're if you're opening up a recipe every time you cook food, it's more challenging to see how the ingredients or the waste or potential waste that you're creating can be repurposed because you're you're following these instructions and you know by the end of it you're all done and you're like well I guess we could have used those chicken bones for chicken stock but you might even be tired from having all the food that you just had to cook you're following this recipe it took forever uh, I get it I totally get it and uh, when you get into some rhythms of cooking a whole chicken and the cooking the whole chicken is something that you've mastered and it goes in the oven, it comes out, it's spectacular. And the intention is to use the whole chicken so that you can get multiple uses out of the, the, the chicken or the bird that we bought. Um, it becomes a lot easier. So, you know, batch, you know, buying, I don't know, maybe not batch buying, more or less, um, it's like planning, right? Yeah, planning ahead. And and it's this idea, too, that Tamar Adler paints so beautifully in her book, The Everlasting Meal, is that one meal flows into the next. So, yeah, you cooked up some uh, asparagus for your dinner or whatever, and you take those stems and you throw them in your vegetable stock. Or it's like everything um, is both the beginning and the ending of the next meal and it just kind of flows into it and that way of thinking takes some time to um, adopt in your kitchen like especially if you're like hey I'm coming home from work at 5 30 or 5 45 and I have 25 minutes to cook dinner like I can't it, it takes a while to get into that rhythm but once you do actually your your work and your efficiency in your kitchen is is much better so um, 
yeah, I, I think this idea of planning ahead is actually an, another one. And we can just jump right into that because I, this is more of an observation that I have from my own experience. I remember like, you know, a few years ago, I was just like, I have no idea what we're going to cook for dinner. And I would just sit down with you on my phone and I'd say, can you help me just think of dinner ideas? Yeah. Just give me four dinner ideas for the week. And then we can do leftovers some of the other days. And then, you know, we might be at my parents' house eating or somewhere like with friends. And I felt like if I could just get four dinners even written down on my sheet, then I then I knew, okay, we can basically buy for this and I can get a little extra here and then we'll have some lunches. But planning ahead is super hard. And I don't know what the mental block is for me, even still to this day. Planning ahead feels like work. And I I wrote what's for dinner. Like I wrote 42 dinner recipes, Mm -hmm. dinner meals that flow from one into the other. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, what am I going to make for dinner? And I have that book right there. Um, So... I think planning ahead is key and it's something that I just, I have a weird hesitation around. Some, I like to be spontaneous in the kitchen and it just doesn't end well for me because I end up running to Kroger or feeling stressed or whatever. And, and so planning ahead is a really simple way to just, like even if you're just jotting it down in your notes on your phone, come up with four meals, fill in the rest as you go and buy those ingredients. Mm. Or figure out how to utilize your pantry. Um, I remember in the beginning of 2020, I realized we have no stocked pantry. We have, like, when we eat through our food, we eat through all of our food. And that was fine until, like, it started to be more complicated to go to the grocery store and we were about to have another baby and all these things. And I realized, wow, I need to have a stocked pantry. And Having a stocked pantry also means that, hey, the times where you feel like you don't have any food in your house, you have food in your house and you can cook something. Mm. So planning ahead. Um, what else? What else do you have on your list? The kitchen utensils, dude. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I'll walk into people's homes. And, and I, you, know, you know, any of these topics I feel like I could talk about for four hours each. But this one in particular, and if if you're out there and you have some awesome kitchen utensils and you just love them, I really don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to be super just honest in my feelings towards kitchen utensils. And, and we're going to start with knives. Okay, we're going to start with kitchen knives. Mm-hmm. When you walk into your kitchen... And you're about to cook dinner, cook lunch, breakfast, cut an orange, an apple. I don't care what you're going to do. If you look and you have more than, you know, a few viable options to cut that fruit or that vegetable or that, yeah, that's fine. If you're going to go cut any kind of vegetable or fruit and you have a specific knife that this particular knife block has designated as the apple knife or there's a good chance that that that's that's a problem (laughs) i remember someone telling me that they have like an onion knife and a tomato knife and a cheese knife and a you know i'm like cool i have you know 
a chef knife, a bread knife, paring knife, maybe a you know boning knife. You're kind of good to go. Mm-hmm. I think that it's too common that people go out and they buy like a 20 piece knife set and that's not including the steak knives, right? Yeah. And we have no idea what each of, you know, what they do, what they're for, why we have them, but we have 20. Simplifying our knife collection and buying higher quality knives is absolutely the best way to do it. It's going to promote better knife skills, right? It's going to promote um, a better understanding of, of, you know, what knives, like what knives do what. And, um, and then you, and then you're blessed with amazing cutlery that you can use forever and hand down to your children and sharpen them and learning how to sharpen them and how to care for them if you're if you're caring for your knives if you are running your knives through the dishwasher i want to speak to you right now because i'm going to tell you to stop it don't do that not only should you have a knife that is probably has a wooden handle and shouldn't go in the dishwasher anyways but also even if it's a metal or plastic or whatever that blade does not belong in the dishwasher you should be hand washing your nice knives that you're using to prep and chop because, and then you should be uh, investing in knives that either you can sharpen yourself with either a whetstone or whatever, Mm. or you can send them in to get sharpened because I hear this all the time. People come to our house and they are cooking in our kitchen, helping prep dinner or whatever. And they're like, wow, these knives are awesome. Like I I have really dull knives at home, but I don't want to get sharper knives because I'm scared I'm going to cut myself. And I'm like, no, you will cut yourself with a dull knife more than you will with a sharp knife because you're having to p- put pressure and force into chopping your carrot. Sometimes watching my mother chop carrots, I get scared. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. And guess what? She's upgrading soon. Good. Her knives. Yeah. Good. She's, she's a classic. I've got a huge set of knives, but now none of them are really working for me. Either they're really heavy or they have a thick blade or they're not as sharp as they should be or they don't hold their sharpness. I think people don't realize that like not all knives are created equal and that the, the material of the blade can actually be designed to hold its sharpness, its sharp edge for longer than or other ones dull out quicker. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why you pay a premium price. And so when we got married... We registered for three really nice knives and we got those. And then over the last, you know, seven years, we've added three more really nice knives. And we have a collection of six phenomenal Shen knives that we love. But, you know, there's other great brands out there too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think if you're looking at, and, and I won't talk about this too much more, but I, um, I just want to say that if you're looking at knives, and you're wondering where to start. I'm thinking that, um, you know, depending on where you are financially, I don't want anybody to feel like left out, right? Um, but if you're if you're buying knives for the home, you can't really get. I mean, you're you're out 50, 60 bucks minimum for any set for any knives. Now, if you're looking at just one knife, or you know, one kitchen blade of some form 
and you, and you find one at Ikea for $8 and that's what you can afford and you can get great. Find a way to sharpen it, find a way to keep it. Um, but for, but for people that are going out there to find, you know, these are the knives we want to have. We want to have them forever. Some quick, you know, my overview of brands. Um, you're looking at Japanese steel. You're looking at German steel. And you can find these online. You can find them in, um, in different, in different uh, more high-end, what would you call this, homeware stores? Mm-hmm. William-Sonoma, I mean... I get that. Crate and barrel, yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, go to those stores and hold the knife in your hand before you order online. How's it feel in your hand? Do you like the handle? Yeah, exactly. That's a big deal. So you're looking for you're looking for a handle. The blade, the metal is full tang, meaning that the the knife, the handle, and the blade are all one piece, and then there's wood wrapped around the handle. You don't want a knife that's the handle is separate from the blade. Why is that? There's there's strength involved. Mm. There's it just shows a level of craftsmanship that it is a different blade altogether. Mm-hmm. Cheaper knives that are that are that are quickly you know produced in like a factory, um, those are going to be you know almost like bolt-on handles, if mm-hmm. you will. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely the first the first piece, and then and I'll I'll quickly I'll just I'll go through the brands that that I that I. Um, typically approve of when I'm giving somebody advice. Um, Shun are the knives we use. S H U N Shun. They're Japanese. They're expensive. Um, they are, in in my experience, the sharpest, most intensely creative. I love using knives, and I want to take care of them. And I know that I can take care of them. Knife. If you buy a shun knife, you're throwing it in the dishwasher and you're dropping it in the sink or on the floor and you're throwing it around, you know, cutting on the counter with it. Eventually you're going to be like, my blades are all chipped up and my handles warped. These knives aren't worth anything. Okay. Well, you probably should have gone a different route with the knives you were going to buy. If you, you know, paid. if that's your goal. Yeah. Don't, yeah. We're not looking for like rough durability. Yeah. We're looking for precision. Precision and well, choice. precision and and um, durability and longevity of your knives is uh, your responsibility, mm-hmm. along with many of the things that you have in your life. And you know, I haven't even gotten into the kitchen utensils beyond knives yet, so I, I'll, I'll make this quicker. I apologize. Shun, it's the brand we use. I love it. There, um, I have yet to use a knife that is consistently as spectacular and as sharp and as um, balanced and the handles as smooth as, as a shun knife. And they're lightweight. That's, I love them. That's something love I've shun. noticed. Also, we can sharpen them at home. They don't have weird, you know, I don't know. I don't like, I don't know if you can sharpen a Cutco knife at home, but you can sharpen a shun blade. You can sharpen any blade. Shun just happens to be, they, they can take on a very sharp edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's, it's Japanese a, steel. They're we spectacular. Should, we should do a video of you sharpening. Yeah, we can do that. I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Um, Henkel, German. Uh, Wustoff, German. Both great, um, great knife brands. Um, German steel is, is going to be more naturally durable, right? Shun knives are less durable. I'm saying this on here. You have to take care of shun knives. Mm-hmm. If you buy shun knives, you have to take care of them. 
to the like they, they are in the top risk for damage category, but they are also high reward in in their performance. Mm-hmm. Henkel and, and and Wustoff are are in my opinion um, in the performance kind of category lower than Shun in performance. Are they bad knives? Heck no. They are in the and they can and depending on which which ones you you buy, they can be and are in the um, in that uh, professional category. So I'm going to call it professional knife arena, mm-hmm. along with Shun. All of these knives that I'm recommending are um, Wustoff, Henkel, and then finally Global. I think that's American, potentially. Can't I can remember. Look that up. Yeah, we just look that up. I can't remember exactly where Global's from. Um, Global, another great knife. Um, is that the one with the metal handle that yep. has sort of like a speckled looks, yeah. dotted look to it? Yep. And and actually a lot of knives now are coming out with different series. Like you can get Wustoff Icon series or Wustoff Classic Rivet. Like there's a bunch of different um we we run the Shun Classics. Um black bamboo handle. Uh, just just the classics, but there's there's all kinds of different Global's a Japanese brand. Is it Japanese? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Global's, uh, they're, they're legit, so. And, and while we're talking about knives, just real quick, um, I know you have a lot of opinions about a knife block mm-hmm. for several reasons. Um, I personally love the little magnetic, I think it was like 10 to $15 mm-hmm. on Amazon, little magnetic knife holder because it keeps the blade out. Uh, you can see what you're grabbing. You're not sticking a really delicate point into a wooden block and hoping it's not, you know, oh my gosh. resting in there. I mean, it's cleaner. Everything from the potential potential damage that a knife block could do to your nicer knives, to the um, the just crud and nasty like stuff that can be Dust. collecting up inside those grooves. Man, I'm just not interested. So, yeah. whatever the solution is, uh, I like one that's more open. Yeah. It could be a magnet. I think magnets are, are some of my favorite. Um, we, we obviously have a magnet, but it's, it's you know, a magnet surface that can be cleaned. Um, just a straight magnet on the wall are great. Um, I mean, throwing them in a drawer, the problem that I have with that is that, you know, they're, they're, they're getting bounced around and hitting each other and they have more opportunity over years of time, right, of getting damaged. So uh, that's why we don't, I don't love throwing my knives in a drawer. So, yeah, and we actually have your knife case from culinary school that we keep like a handful of knives in, just as like on backup. reserve for yeah. Or if we're traveling and we're cooking, or you're taking them to yeah. the office, and then we have yeah our standard six knives on our counter, mm-hmm. and then we have you know our hunting, boning, yeah, whatever knives, in with the other things. Correct. I think knives are big, so I think honestly, that time was well spent. <laughs> Can I but, quickly hit some utensils yeah, before we're done? Because I just, I'm, this is, no, this you is don't have burning to go inside me. I think you should, I want you to let it all out. Because I'm going to let it all out. This is the first thing. When when Joey and I got married and we were, nothing nothing shows you your spouse's personality more than when you're trying to register for things. Mm. Like this is the ultimate <laughs> test of like, do we have the same this. style? Do we have the same values are you looking for quality and longevity are you looking for just like let's get the most stuff you know either way 
that, you know, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but I learned very quickly that my husband to be was very, um, anti some things and very into like high quality. I want this to last for my great, great grandchildren. I'm not going to call you bougie because I think it's, I think it's, um, warranted I think kitchen because we use our kitchen so much like I'm so thankful we have high quality things but like 98% of it came through our wedding registry which Mm -hmm. I'm also thankful for and um you don't stand for like you will not have an apple cutter in your drawer and you can talk about that (laughs) there are these items that are at Target Walmart your your supermarket Kroger Kroger Publix Giant Eagle and they're they're preying on people that don't know that they can eat that particular vegetable or fruit and they say hmm this person probably has a knife block of 30 knives and they don't know how to cut open an avocado so we're going to make this weird green plastic device that you can buy it's called an avocado cutter. I don't know. Apple cutter. Um, the old-fashioned apple peelers, I'm kind of like it's a classic thing. It spins the apple, peels the apple. Hey, if you're doing a bunch of apples and you're making apple pie, I'm not going to judge you. right? Those are, those are a little bit different. I have some respect there. Unitaskers? <laughs> Things that have one reason for existence are there just to clog up your kitchen's space. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you don't have enough kitchen space, which I don't know anybody, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to hear this. You know, hey, if, if find me on Instagram and tell me, I don't. I just have too much kitchen space, too much space in my drawers. My cabinets are empty. I'd be very interested to know why, or if you use your kitchen. I'd love to have some conversation about that unitaskers these are these are appliances um utensils knives anything that you've purchased that they do one thing if you if if you're just making food at home and you own a rice cooker you are loved (laughs) but i believe you have made a mistake unless you are making just like pounds of rice a week and like I, I don't know you, you, maybe you're you're looking to open up a sushi restaurant and rice is just you cannot spend the time making that rice but if hey you know maybe we'll make rice today let's bust out the rice cooker or a bread maker don't get me started on a bread maker um <laughs> people ask me all the time can I make my sourdough in a bread maker and I say first of all this is unearthing a foundational misconception about bread. You need mm. your hands. Anyways, keep going. I don't know about, to, uh, like, I don't have a huge list of them. I should have looked up a list of just greatest kitchen innovations 2022 and found all the unit taskers. Because I don't use them. And the reason I don't use them is that um, I, I prefer multitaskers. 
I'll tell you what the the most powerful multitasker in the kitchen is. An eight inch chef knife. Everything. Yep. Um, chopping vegetables to um, crushing garlic to making garlic paste to um, cracking open uh, crab shells to um, peeling and and breaking down pineapple and you know chef knife boom use it for everything opening up clams and oysters and so when when you google oysters when you yeah maybe not oysters there's a specific oyster knife that you should use yes please don't use a chef don't use a chef knife open your oysters we can use chef knives for uh for clams maybe yeah uh so when you look up unitasker list first of all alton brown sort of like crowned this disdain for unitaskers Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um i i thought you were joking when you were talking about this green avocado slicer because i've never seen it but it's the first thing that shows up is it the first thing? it's like a weird plastic blade all the avocado toast people out there you know who you are if you have an avocado (sighs) slicer bless your heart throw it away away. um save the space so one end is like a weird plastic almost like shark fin to open it but like as if you can't just rotate your knife around the pit so it's it's like only supposed to go as deep as the pit is Mm. and then the other side is like a scooper to like slice your avocado so like a knife and a spoon (laughs) is that what we're doing yeah um that's number one i i remember uh we didn't have an apple slicer and uh our nanny that we had for a little bit. I love her, but she was upset with us. And she was, so she got, she got one at the store and I think she's the only one that's ever used it. Do we still have it? It's apple still, slicer? I think it's still in the drawer. No kidding. Anna, we love you, but we don't, we just don't use the apple slicer. Um, let's see. I, I think you have opinions about on a garlic press. Okay. If you want to talk about that, I'm looking up other things. There's, there's like corn cob holders and there's, there are corn, um, pineapple slicers, cutting corn off the cob, pineapple, yeah, pineapple slicers, watermelon ball, yeah, like all these things that uh, I think also there's. I, I would bet that platforms like TikTok and Instagram Reels are making a lot of these things famous. Yeah, is my guess. It's like, oh my gosh, easy hacks. Look at how that person is quickly, you know, chunking up that watermelon for perfect bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. I should get one of those weird, you know, rolling garden hose or whatever the heck it is. So, garlic press. For the love of all that is savory and delicious, buy fresh garlic. Mm -hmm. Buy fresh garlic. You might be buying the prepared garlic that's diced up in a jar sitting in olive oil that's in the fridge that's been pasteurized by the way okay um that's like a step above garlic powder but 10 steps behind fresh garlic just so we're clear Mm -hmm. okay um not to mention you're spending extra money on that so you are definitely not saving money if you buy prepared garlic there's a i mean you're paying somebody to you know prepare it Fresh garlic is cheap. It's a major flavor add. And the fresh stuff trumps the dry and prepared stuff all day long. Just no no competition. Now, 
if you are not at a place where you can crush a clove of garlic with the with the flat, you know, with the with the side of your knife blade, remove the peel, take off the stem, and then dice it up, and turn it into whatever, you know, whatever shape and size you want for your dish. And you would rather meticulously clean out the little holes and grooves of a garlic press and that spending that time cleaning that device you would rather do that than to spend the time to to crush and chop the garlic if that's where you want to spend your time i i approve of a garlic press and here the only reason is because it hurts me so much when people don't mess with garlic because it's just not convenient enough and it's like I get it. People are in a hurry. They're making food. They want to put garlic in their dish. Sometimes people just don't even use garlic. Like the option could be, you know, I found this really awesome garlic in a toothpaste tube at the store. Boom. Now I'm making more flavorful like, you know, spaghetti sauce because I threw in some garlic paste. Mm -hmm. Or I found, you know, prepared garlic or I just am not going to put garlic in this because I don't feel like messing with it my gosh, don't do that. If you must get a garlic press. Um, and I would encourage you to quickly wean yourself off the press and learn how to chop garlic with a, with a knife because um, that is, it's, it really is not that hard. There's a simple process to doing up garlic and it is, it is a powerful, uh, it's a powerful flavor additive to your to your meals so um i trying to think if there's are there any other unitaskers that i really have strong feelings about um you know juicers are one of those things you make a ton of juice at home you know good for you get a juicer otherwise you know I've, i can't tell you how many times i've seen somebody go out invest in a juicer so they can you know make st- juice three times make juice three times and it fills up a big part of their cabinet I would yeah I would say on the flip side of the unitasker thing let's talk real quick about high quality appliances that we do enjoy so we have a a, we have a nice blender we have a Vitamix blender that we got it was a refurbished Vitamix blender wedding gift right it was a wedding gift um and yeah they told us hey it's refurbished but it's like way cheaper and you have you know a a year warranty versus like you know we've never had any issues it's been great um we have a scratch and dent fridge too that we love. Like you can, yeah. it, don't be afraid to get the high end uh, brand, but then maybe it's refurbished or scratch and dent or whatever. Um, really nice knives as, as we have covered. Um, uh, we have a really beautiful, well-loved wooden cutting board. Mm-hmm. I think having a really good cutting surface, that's not plastic, that's not, um, crappy tiny way too small like mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than trying to cut and prepare your um, food or your produce or whatever on a cutting board that's just too small and you're way too crowded mm-hmm. having a nice large cutting space in the form of a cutting board ours was you know handcrafted by your dad but yeah. um, you can find really good wide sort of like butcher block cutting boards anywhere and we use that for like i know people are freaked out but we cut meat we cut everything and yeah. there's nothing that you clean it you can sanitize it you can yeah you can use just basic soap and water and oil it and do everything you need to and you don't have to stick it in the dishwasher goodness quick, quick tips about taking care of a wooden cutting board 
don't let it sit in water. Don't run it through the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Don't run it through the dishwasher. Don't run it through the dishwasher. (laughs) Even if you've cut raw meat on it, it will be fine. Do not run it through the dishwasher. Dishwashers are just like, they, people ask, well, what's so bad about running stuff through the dishwasher? Luke, I like the dishwashers. <laughs> you know, they, they love, they love the dishwasher. They love the convenience of a dishwasher. And I tell people, I say, the heat of a dishwasher is a major factor. The, the amount of water that it throws on it. And quite frankly, depending on what you're using chemical wise to clean your dishes. Now we try, you know, we were using, um, you know, clean detergents, but and soaps, but at the end of the day, that that combination, especially for wood, um, it t- it takes off the um, enamel of of and shine of um, many metal or or plastic or handles or anything that you've got. It's it is a, it, it puts a, a severe amount of wear and tear on your stuff. One time through, it might not be ruined. But if you think about the longevity of something, the amount of times it goes to the dishwasher, that's a lot of times of being raised up to a super high temperature. It's a lot of times of being soaked and just, you know, covered in water and, you know, whatever those chemicals and drying agents, right, are that are being applied to your, your stuff. So um, additionally with, with cutting boards, you know, don't, don't let them soak in water. Don't run through the dishwasher. Um, and when, when you're using them, um, after you clean them, you'll, you'll notice every now and then that your the, the natural wood is beginning to dry out. You know, fear not. Hit it with a little bit of you know olive oil and a paper towel, and um, almost season the cutting board. It's going to rejuvenate that the kind of the natural moisture, keep the the wood healthy, so it's not cracking and splitting and drying out when it gets too dry. Um, as you're cutting into it, it's going to start to you know, break apart. Um, there's, there's some ways to, there's some ways to treat your cutting boards. So. Yeah. Any other major quality kitchen staples that you can think of? I think, um, I guess this just came to my mind. If you're, if you're worried about getting a big cutting board, um, because of the amount of space you have or counter countertop space that you have, one of the ways we, got around that is that we just turned our big cutting board into countertop we just left it on the counter i don't have i don't have anywhere to store it do you have counter that can, it can sit on even if you have like a small bit of countertop turn it into the countertop just leave it on top mm-hmm. and then wipe it off clean it like you would a counter mm-hmm. exact same way and um we leave our cutting board out on the counter all the time forever we don't put it in and out we just boom on the counter good to go ready to use all the time clean it like a counter so that was that was something. so any other major staples you know um for us it's it's uh you know st- stainless steel pans cast iron pans uh, dutch oven uh, good quality knives an awesome cutting board Yeah, we got the blender. Yeah, we love coffee. Yep. So good coffee, you know, tools, really good coffee grinder. And when I say really good, I mean we bought it for like $60 on sale. Yeah. Um, But it does a great job. We like grinding the coffee. I feel like it, 
Fresh ground coffee is a whole other game. Yeah, I mean, if you're ground is different. Yeah, it's this. It's the comparison of pre-chopped garlic. Yeah. Um, Uh, If you have anything else, I'll bring it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, the one last thing we do have cutting boards designated for like savory cooking. So we have some cheaper, I think they're like teak wood or something mm. cutting boards. I use to chop like onions and then our big cutting board, I try to keep onion free because wood can, you know, have some, I don't know if it's absorbent or what, or maybe I just don't wash it well enough, but I feel like if I chop an onion, some of that residual scent and flavors there, I remember you cut a pineapple on the classic onion board and forever tasted like onion so something to keep in mind if you're new to a wooden cutting board there are some of the some, oils you're right it's gonna absorb some of those oils yeah there are yeah. some some flavors so it, it might be good to have you know a savory and a neutral board um so moving on from our kitchen mistake <laughs> ut- unitasker conversation which i think is is good um my final thing I want to just close with is when people are looking to get into embracing real food and cooking from scratch, which cooking from scratch, by the way, doesn't mean a million different ingredients and a complicated casserole recipe. It can just mean scrambling an egg mm-hmm. or frying up a ground beef burger patty. Like it's simple stuff. But when people are first getting into this, I think that they don't take the time or maybe they don't know that they need to take the time to build some foundational um, kitchen skills and some foundational understanding. Like the conversation we had earlier about fats and acids, I think that um, even that is something that when I figured out, hey, this falls in the fat category and I can use this when I'm trying to balance out these flavors. That is a sort of kitchen intuition that... um, develops over time but one that can also be observed by gleaning inspiration from other people so I think a huge thing I tell people often is like hey if you're new in the kitchen or if you want to improve or if you feel like you're stuck and you're making the same things over and over find a way to get inspired follow an Instagram account that is making really beautiful like simple dinners um, watch a show, watch a cooking show. There's so many different types of cooking shows. It's not just like Food Network, I'm Rachel Ray cooking a, a meal in 30 minutes anymore. Like there's immersive cooking shows that you can watch and you can learn about culture. And there's um, hilarious, just uh, some of my favorite. We love The Chef Show. That's a great show. Uh, it, oh, it's not kid friendly. I wouldn't watch it around your children. But it's a good mix of like basic entertainment, but then Roy Choi is a classically trained chef who just has phenomenal, like he's teaching basically John Favreau how to chop in the, sh- in the show. Like it's just really natural banter and stuff that when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I'm learning. I- I'm learning when he puts that pasta in the water. I'm learning when he browns those mushrooms. Like you can, you can take notes on stuff if you want to, if you want to learn, um, Gordon Ramsay. We're huge Gordon Ramsay fans because he's just, he's one of the greats. And he has a masterclass. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a paid version, but I know for a fact we watched a free version, I you believe. You can find on YouTube. YouTube or Prime. There's some version of his resources. He also has a phenomenal YouTube channel that is for sure free. And he goes over basics like how to make specific sauces or how to fry a steak or how to just basic kitchen principles that I think are really critical. 
Um, Tamara Adler, I just, I talk about her book all the time because it's a food philosophy book. And I think people like me who are very like, I want to understand a concept before I go do it, pick up that book. Mm. It's phenomenal. Um, yeah. So I, I think gleaning inspiration and getting a, a grip on specific kitchen sort of principles will, will, um, change the game for your family kitchen and I think if you don't have those things in place already you're probably just cooking from recipes and you're probably just cooking one meal at a time and you're probably just buying a set of ingredients for one thing and that can be challenging not only is that exhausting it's also probably not stretching you to think outside of the recipe whereas um, learning sort of the principles and foundational skills gives you the tools to infuse any ingredient you might have in your cabinet you know you don't feel limited to an ingredient list because you know how to treat this or that or what flavors to combine to to achieve a you know smoky flavor or a deep richness of curry or or whatever you're trying to cook so one thing i would add is there there is i agree with that but there is definitely something to be gained from cooking recipes and it's not necessarily that you're learning the recipe, now you have the recipe. And it's kind of what you said, um, but just flipped into the, hey, if you're cooking recipes, you know, what can you be learning from the recipe? And I don't mean, um, you know, well, now I know how to make a cool salad dressing. I mean, cooking methodology, right? Cooking methods. Um, did you just braise chicken? Well, guess what? That same approach can be taken to other meats, braising pork, braising beef, braising. You can braise anything. Braising is a cooking method. Um, grilling food to pan searing and finishing the oven to roasting. Uh, we're talking a lot about a lot of meat here, but um, that kind of that kind of learning can happen based off cooking a recipe, if you can then apply it, that same, some of the concepts you've learned in those recipes to other, to other foods. So I guess I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, recipes can be, can be valuable. It just it really depends on your approach to it and, and what you're uh, wanting to get out of each, uh, each preparation. So I agree. And I, and what I tell people often is um, start with a recipe and Practice diverting from the mm-hmm. recipe. That's Just good. little things. Yeah, hey, good. use use a broccoli instead of an asparagus. See yeah. how that, you know, vegetable swap changes or whatever might be in season. Or, um, And then observe like flavor combos. I think that's something really specifically that if you don't have rich like cultural culinary traditions passed down from your parents, like a lot of the flavor combinations are new to us. Yeah. We're learning those right now. And so keeping in mind like, hey, every time I see this, I see this spice. Those are always used in tandem and they create this really rich flavor. Like how else can I apply that? Little things like that. Mm. Um, same with meat cuts. You know, in, in the meal plan that I have, what's for dinner, I tell people if there's a more economical meat cut, like, like hey, um, chicken wings are on sale or, hey, I could buy – bulk thighs from my farmer this week or you know it's often things it's just based on demand switch it out you know your protein cut even your 
even your pick of protein. I mean, you could uh, you could easily take a poultry dish and turn it into a red meat dish with a couple of minor variations. So um, using recipes as a springboard to then practice your kitchen intuition, knowing that you have like a good skeletal base of what you're cooking that night. I've, I think some of my best meals I've made started with, okay, this is my general idea. Sometimes I look up a recipe just to say like, do these flavors even go together? Can I even cook a leek this way? Honestly, like if it's a new ingredient to me or I'm trying to figure it out, I look up a recipe, I throw away the recipe, but then I, I work off of that knowledge. Mm. So um, that's a great step if you're kind of new to the kitchen or even if you're just like, hey, I have a new ingredient I feel weird about or a new cut of meat I've never tried before. Cooking temps are, are different. I need to look up that kind of specific detail, but the other things I can I can make my own. Well, right on. Well, I think as we as we begin to wrap up here, you know, the going, the, the, the message we want to send you away with is to, to get in the kitchen. Yeah. Just get in the kitchen. Hey, you know, what? if you've got if you're in the kitchen, you've got the avocado cutter. We the, love you. We love you, and you've got the thirty five knives. Um, we still love you. Use use your use your. At the end of the day, we're we're just trying to cook for good food, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the reason for this episode is to try to. Um, help inform you on how to make that process a little bit easier. Um, and, uh, you know, finally, you know, I'm going to ask you, what, what what resources could we find that uh, that would help us, you know, along our, along our path, right? You mentioned a book. I think I, think I want you to bring that back up. Um, the, uh, the, what, what is it called? Everlasting Meal? An Everlasting Meal by Tamar Adler um, is a phenomenal book. And uh, I think she's actually working on a new book too, but it's a rich sort of food philosophy book. The first chapter is called How to Boil Water. And if you think you know how to cook, um, you do know how to cook, but this takes it to a whole other level. Very inspirational book from what I've heard from you. Highly inspirational. I actually think we're going to probably do a whole podcast episode on it. Yeah, I'm pumped for that episode. So Tamar Adler is a great resource. Um, Like I mentioned before, I have a what's for dinner six-week meal plan for this very reason because every, you know, I I said, even I still struggle with meal planning. There's something about, I like something in my soul... (laughs) It just rebels against the idea of planning and organizing. I just want to be spontaneous all the time. And that doesn't work when you're trying to cook three meals a day in your family kitchen for your family and also do everything else, homeschool and and work and clean your house. You have to have structure. So Right on. So we've got um, Everlasting Meal by... Tamar Adler. Tamar Adler. Um, And we've got uh, your your resource, homegrownneducation.org. Um, you can fi- you can pick up a copy of what's for dinner. What's for dinner? And if you if you want to know why we call it what's for dinner, um, it's because you know quite frankly, I would come home from work. I would say, hey, what's for dinner? And <laughs> and I would immediately get mad. It's just it's a it's a touchy subject. And here's why. And and I hope that if this is you, you feel like heard right now because it would it would. Give me a sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm failing. And now like my failure is open for my whole family to see because I have nothing ready for dinner. It literally, it like, it pokes a wound somewhere in me that would, it would make me so frustrated that my whole day didn't end in this culmination of a family dinner because I just didn't plan anything and I felt like I was caught, you know, I felt like I was like, oh, I'm unorganized again. 
And so finally you were like, hey, you make some really delicious food and you have some really good staple things. Like, by the way, if you don't know that every single meal just about and what's for dinner are staples in the Hazelmeyer home, I can't tell you how many people love that fish dish mm. with the thyme and the lemon and the tomato. Amazing. That was uh, that was created by Joey because he spent summers fishing on Lake Ontario and would make fish for his grandfather and they used to fry it. And then one day Joey was like, wait a minute. I went to culinary school. I can elevate this a little bit. We have this beautiful, fresh caught fish. Mm. How can we cook that? And he, I remember you texted me the, a picture of the first one you made well, yeah. with lemon and thyme and cherry tomatoes. It's the most simple dish ever. I think it's like five ingredients, but it's a staple in our house and it's in what's for dinner, our tacos, you know, and, and it, the beauty of it is you get a shopping list. So that you can shop for your groceries the week A shopping list in the book. A shopping list in the book for every single week. Okay, week one, you're cooking through these seven meals, and it's seven meals, which honestly, if you don't want to cook all seven nights, that's fine. But you're cooking seven meals, which should supply you plenty for lunch and dinner. It gives you portioning guides. So, hey, if we have a family of six, how much do we buy Mm. per person? You know, this is how much in raw meat you should buy. You should account. You should calculate for So you get a shopping list, so you shop one time for the whole week. Then you get nightly instructions of how to cook. Each meal, I would say, depending, you know, if it's not something where it's like a set it and forget it thing in your crock pot, they're like 30-minute meals, you know, because I usually wait till about 5, 5.30 to start cooking dinner because even though I'm home, I'm not, I'm I'm working, I'm doing other Mm -hmm. things. I'm not just like in my kitchen all day. Um, And then it gives you cues for like, hey, let's, Let's practice having one meal flow into the next. And your roasted chicken that you made tonight, go ahead and throw all the bones and the connective tissue and the extra skin in a pot and simmer it or stick it in your fridge and simmer it in the morning because you're going to use chicken stock for the next meal. Or in two days, you're going to use that chicken stock. So go ahead and make it so you have it on hand. Um, Double batch your potatoes, your roasted potatoes tonight because um, in a day or two, you're also going to use those. You're going to reheat those as part of your meal. So it has this like stream, you know, through line that um, gives you your preparation for the night before if there is any. You know, we do sourdough. If you have to whip up a a batch of sourdough or um, some soaked tortillas, any sort of grain preparation that takes seven to eight hours or more, I give you the cues for that. Yeah. So what's for dinner is, you know, and then there's other things like we have hidden liver in every, you know, week. Right on. Well, pick up what's for dinner. Take the thinking out of, of meal prep and, and dinner preparation, but also as we discussed, you know, use this as inspiration and, and some, you know, cooking methods that, that maybe you haven't done before. And, and um, ultimately we want, we want people to, uh, to be creating their own amazing staples for their home, right? Maybe you take yeah. a few of these, uh, maybe you don't. Regardless, get out there, cook some food. Um, again, homegrowneducation.org. Find uh, what's for dinner. You also got some children's curriculum on there. Get kids on the, on the journey, on the path of um, understanding real food. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, that's a good time. So we have, you have the real food guide that's mm-hmm. kind of giving people some better understanding of you know what real food is and um, helping identify options for um, swapping out ingredients for the, the, the most holistic version, right? And kitchen rhythms. I have a whole section on kitchen rhythms. 
get on there, get, get after it. If you want to hear more amazing educational, inspirational inf- information from um, from Elizabeth, from Liz, uh, find her at homegrown underscore education on Instagram. And you can find me at Joey Hazelmeyer, the one and only. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much for listening. That's a wrap. That's a wrap.